Recently, there was a social media post of a former TV star turned influencer who is married to a pastor, which created quite the firestorm, polarizing those in the Christian community. It was a post of her family dressed up in cute costume for Halloween. On one side were those who could not believe that a Christian and a pastor's wife would publicly celebrate Halloween on October 31, which they viewed as celebrating something that was satanic and demonic. And on the other side are those who believed there was nothing wrong with dressing up as your favorite cartoon character simply for some clean fun and games. They see it as an opportunity for Christians to take back and redeem a day that has been viewed as given to the evil one. Now, we're not getting to the debate about celebrating Halloween in this message, but I want to ask the question, does she have the freedom as a Christian to post a picture of her family dressed up in costume? The answer is, of course, yes. But another question is, as a Christian influencer and a pastor's wife, with so many people looking up to her and following her, should she have posted what she did? That is a matter of personal conviction, which is often difficult to answer. But the Bible does provide some guidelines when it comes to the question, I can, but should I? You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 tells us, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Simply put, Many things are permissible, but it may not be necessarily beneficial. Another scenario where this comes into play is when a young person asks his parents, can I travel overnight with my good friend who is of the opposite gender? Can I travel overnight with my girlfriend or boyfriend, just the two of us? We'll be in separate beds or even separate rooms. Of course, most traditional parents would say no, that is very unwise. But the young person may reply, you're judging us. Nothing is going to happen, and you're already assuming something will happen. Don't you trust me? Should the parents allow and give their blessings? That is a question often posed to me. Do unmarried young people of age have the freedom to travel alone together? Sure they do. But is it wise for them to do so? That is the question we ask this morning. I can, but should I? In these matters of the gray, where the Bible doesn't tell us specifically what we should do, it does provide some guidelines for us to follow and ask ourselves some questions before we decide on what to do. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this question. I can, but should I? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians as we're going to be taking a look at chapters 8 and 10. 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, we're going to be looking at chapters 8 and 10. Now, as you're turning to this passage, in so-called gray area issues, where there's no definitive guidance from the Bible, which would then be black and white, so hence gray, we need to make an important distinction. It is the distinction between biblical truths versus personal preferences and personal convictions. Now, there is no debate over issues of biblical truths, or there should not be. There should be no compromise in this area, 
And it is not up for situational discussions. An example would be the belief that Jesus dealt with our sin problem by dying on the cross and that there is no salvation apart from Him or except through Him. On this truth, there can be no debate because it comes from the author of truth, God Himself, through His Word, the Bible. On the other hand, personal preferences and personal convictions are beliefs in which there can be some compromise because biblical truths either do not address the matter directly or it is what is known as gray areas where there are general guiding principles but nothing specific, such as the type of music you listen to, the movies and shows you watch, smoking, dancing, gaming, playing mahjong, making a friendly wager, playing video games with violence, drinking alcohol, and so on. For example, the Bible warns about the danger of alcohol and the sin of drunkenness, but never forbids the consumption of it. It is a matter of personal preference and personal convictions whether you will drink alcohol or not and whether you will do so privately or publicly. Now, these matters of the gray, preferences, and personal freedoms What are some guidelines to help us wisely discern if we should do it or not? Remember, the question is, I can, but should I? I read now verses 1 to 3 of chapter 8. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. The context of this chapter is that the Christian in this church or Christians in this church were divided because some Christians thought it was okay to eat meat offered to idols, while other Christians believed it was wrong to do so. You see, in ancient Corinth, when animals were brought as sacrifice to idols, not all the meat was burned as a sacrifice, only a small part. The leftover meat was given to the temple priest to eat, and the rest went to the temple butcher who sold it as good quality meat at a cheaper price than the markets that offered meats. Or sometimes the meats were given to the temple restaurant where meals were then, of course, cheap but delicious. So therein lies a few issues for Christians living in this pagan city of Corinth. Three scenarios are talked about in chapters 8 and 10. First, should Christians go eat at the temple restaurant which is the issue being talked about in verse 8. Because if a Christian went to eat at the delicious restaurant at affordable prices, then others may see them in the pagan temple area and wrongly assume that they were either there to worship the idols or to take advantage of the temple prostitutes. Second, should Christians shop at the temple market with its cheap but very good quality meats? That is what is addressed in chapter 10, verses 25 to 26. Again, if others see these Christians in the temple area, they may not know that they were there to shop for cheap but good meat. They would wrongly assume they were worshiping the false idols or sleeping with the temple prostitutes. Then thirdly, there is the issue brought up in chapter 10, verse 27, of what happens when you're invited to a private dinner party And you know that the food served there has been offered to pagan idols. Should Christians eat this food? The answer to all three scenarios was yes. You can eat at the temple restaurant. 
You can go shop at the temple store. Yes, you can eat the food served, even if you know it has been offered to idols. Now, to put it into our context today, yes, you can eat at a restaurant owned by Buddhists. Yes, you can shop at a store owned by non-Christians. Yes, you can have dinner at the home of someone who practices another religion. This is the principle of liberty. In Christ, we have the freedom to do anything that is not specifically prohibited in the Scriptures and does not contradict any biblical truths and principles taught in the Bible. But my friends, listen carefully. You must be certain that God has not already given a command in Scripture about what you should and should not do about the activity under consideration. As Kenneth Birding shares, more than a decade ago, the student newspaper at the university where I teach polled the student body about whether it was wrong to download online music that an artist did not want to share for free. This was before the Spotify-like shared royalties were in place like today. He writes, a worrisome percentage of the polled students counted such downloading of music to be a gray area. But taking something from someone who does not want to give it away is the very definition of stealing, which the Bible forbids in Exodus 20, verse 15, Ephesians 4, verse 28. How many of you have downloaded movies before streaming services were readily available like today using torrents? Do not raise your hands because I think many of you would. That's pure stealing. Simple as that. It is not a matter of convictions whether it's okay to tour in a movie that you want to watch. So make sure that the Bible has not given explicit instructions before claiming that something is a gray area. So our first filter, the question, I can, but should I, is remembering, number one, the principle of liberty. The principle of liberty and asking the question, is it prohibited in the Bible? If not, then you have the freedom in Christ to do so. Now, lest some judgmental Christian believe that they know it all and are more spiritually mature, or they believe that just by looking at the circumstances or a post or a picture that they are in a position to cast judgment, Paul warns that knowledge puffs up. Apparently, the more mature Christians who thought they knew how to deal with this issue had become prideful and offended the less mature Christians by claiming they were right. Paul encouraged the Christians in Corinth to move away from an I-know-it-all attitude to cultivate a more loving, kind, and considerate attitude. Because in Christ, they had the freedom to do what they were doing. Why? Verses 4 to 6 gives us the theological answer. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if they are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. In these three verses, the Apostle Paul basically stated the fact that the many idols that the Greeks and Romans were sacrificing to were nothing. They were worthless, non-existent beings because there's only one true living God who is the creator and sustainer of all things. Therefore, he comes to this logical conclusion in verses 7 to 8. 
However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Here Paul is saying, because the idols are not God's, and in fact, nothing, then offering food to idols does not change the food in any way. So it is okay to eat food offered to idols. However, not all the Christians in Corinth knew or understood this truth. For some, who perhaps came from a deeply pagan background, their experience was such that in their conscience, they were still not able to get over the fact that the food had been offered to idols and so could not, in all good conscience, eat the food. And if their conscience bothered them, then they were not to eat the food, as Romans chapter 14, verse 23, reminds us about the importance of following our conscience. Notice that Paul does not make an assessment here who is better, the one who is at liberty to eat meat offered to idols or the one whose conscience doesn't allow him to eat meat offered to idols. He doesn't say which one is better because verse 8 is clear that eating or not eating meat offered to idols doesn't make one a better Christian than the other. You see, Christians no longer have to live according to a code of ethics to do good in order to please God for their salvation. For following a set of laws does not save the cross of Christ took care of that. Now, because everyone's life experience is different and their spiritual understanding varies based on their spiritual maturity, then we need to show grace to one another. We don't need to malign, belittle, or disparage someone who does something we say, or excuse me, who, who does something we may not do personally with the freedom that they have in Christ. However, sadly, Instead of acknowledging that we have freedoms in Christ, often judgmental Christians will often call those who differ from their own personal preferences and convictions, they'll call them misguided. They'll call them liberal, immature, ignorant, brainwashed, or deceived. Some even go far as to say that the other person must not be a Christian because how can a Christian do this or that? We must be very careful not to malign or judge simply because we have a different perspective or preference on something not clearly addressed in the Bible. You know, when we see a picture or a social media post, we tend to assume many things, but we don't know the context nor the situation. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know all who are in the group, know the circumstances and the background of the situation. So it is something we should be aware of. But then again, because of this reality of people always assuming, and oftentimes assuming the worst, and naturally putting malice into a situation or picture or post, that should give us pause as well, knowing that's how people think. As we saw in these verses, some of the less mature Christians didn't know that idols were worthless objects that held no special powers, while the more mature Christians didn't realize that their less mature friends didn't know the truth, and they tried to rub it in. The principle of liberty is clear here. There is nothing wrong with eating meat sacrificed to idols, just like there's nothing intrinsically wrong with playing cards 
or watching movies, TV, K-drama, or sports, or drinking coffee, tea, alcohol, and so on. Unless specifically addressed in the Bible as something we can't do as Christ followers, then we have the freedom in Christ to do it. Now, before you all rejoice and go out partying, thinking you can do anything, there are three other guidelines you need to think about before we do something. Look at verses 9 to 12. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you of knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, note this, you sin against Christ. The Apostle Paul warns in verse 9 that someone who has no problems eating meat offered to idols and exercises that freedom openly could possibly affect the Christian walk of someone who is weak, meaning someone who has an issue with eating meat offered to idols. In verse 10, Paul gives an example where one of the weaker Christians who has a conscience problem may see the stronger Christian eating meat offered to idols and do the same thing thus going against his own conscience and in the process, sinning. These may be new converts to Christianity who came from a lifestyle of worshiping false idols and eating the meat offered to them, and then by seeing others eat meat offered to idols could bring back bad memories of the time they were pagans. They would not be able to understand why Christians would partake in such things. And so in verses 11 and 12, says that the conscience of the weaker Christian is now affected, where he will begin to do things against his conscience and personal convictions and no longer be able to distinguish right and wrong. In this scenario of openly flaunting your freedoms to do something, knowing how another weaker Christian struggles with it would then be a sin for you, the Bible says. In this warning, Paul was saying there is another principle to consider in the question of, I can, but should I? And it is this, principle number two, the principle of responsibility. The principle of responsibility. We have to ask ourselves the question, how does it affect my testimony to others? Are they edified or stumbled? How does it affect my testimony to the world? Will my actions cause people not only to misunderstand my intentions and actions, or without being sensitive to them, will cause them to stumble and sin. Paul's point was, don't do things that you have the freedom to do without considering how it may affect others who isn't or who aren't as spiritually mature as you. You see, my friends, one of the strongest evidences of spiritual maturity is not how much we exercise our Christian liberty and freedom, but how we restrain our Christian freedoms for the sake of our responsibility to others in our testimony. It is our Christian responsibility to not do certain things that we can do so that it will not cause people to stumble and misunderstand the Christian faith. If I know that one of my friends has an issue with alcohol because perhaps their abusive, fathers, or abusive father was an alcoholic and would beat them, when he was drunk, then while I can drink alcohol, it is my responsibility as a Christian to not drink with him in my presence so as not to stumble him. I remember President George W. Bush 
would famously toast with apple cider at formal events at the White House instead of champagne because of his own struggles with alcohol until tragedy in his life came into play and he went sober. I'm also reminded of my grandpa, Reverend Edwin Spar, one of the founders of Grace Ministries. When we visited him as children to Boca Raton, Florida, where he and Mrs. Spar retired, he would not drink, he loved root beer, but he would not drink IBC root beer out of the bottle because it looked too much like real beer, and he didn't want anyone to be stumbled. So he would tell the server at the restaurant to pour his root beer from a bottle into a glass before he would drink it. Now you may think, that is so silly of him. Who cares what others think? But here is a man who practices biblical truth of responsibility and testimony. For him, it was a matter of personal convictions and conscience, especially one who grew up in the very conservative 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so we respected his wishes. And as children, when we order root beers with him at dinner, we'd also have the root beers poured out of the bottle into the cups when we would eat with him. My own father grew up in a generation where going to the movie theaters was considered inappropriate for a conservative Christian. And that's why he doesn't watch movies in a theater up to today. And neither did we as children growing up in his household. Again, you may think that is so old-fashioned, but it was for him a matter of personal convictions and conscience that he was not to be seen in a movie theater. Now, while watching movies in a movie theater is no longer an issue for me personally and in our current culture in which we live, it is also my Christian responsibility not to force my own freedoms upon those who struggle in this area and cause them to stumble. But with understanding and grace, I choose to forego some freedoms in order to prevent others from stumbling. So I'm not going to start inviting my dad to watch a movie with me at SM or Yala Malls just because I can, because I respect his personal convictions and preferences. When I ask myself if I should do certain things, I have to remind myself I have a Christian testimony to maintain to other Christians and to the world. I am not to cause them to stumble. So for example, while I can I choose not to frequent restaurants in the P. Burgos area or the Malata area of Metro Manila alone because people may wonder what the pastor of GCCP is doing in those areas alone. Now, I have the right and the freedom to be there, especially if I'm not doing anything wrong, which I'm not. But I choose as best as I can not to be seen there alone. Even if there are some great Korean or Japanese restaurants there, I will not go alone. I'll bring my wife or go with a group of friends. This is an example of how we are to put into practice this principle of responsibility as it relates to the gray areas of life. Look at verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. As I said it before, this is one of my hated verses in the Bible, but it's in there. 
as someone who loves steak and all things meat, I can't believe what Paul just wrote. He wrote that he would be willing to give up eating meat if eating meat causes another Christian brother or sister to stumble in his or her Christian walk. I hope none of you are stumbled by me eating a steak. If you are, you can find another church. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I wonder if I could do the same. I wonder if you could do the same. Now, what's Paul stressing here? Paul is stressing that love for others took priority over one's rights and being right. Love for others took priority about being right and having your right. And this is our third principle when it comes to this question of, I can, but should I? Principle number three, the principle of love. The principle of love. Am I willing to give up my rights to help others in their spiritual journey? And this is a theme repeated throughout the Scriptures You may have the rights, the freedom, the opinions, the personal convictions, the preferences, but because of the example of Christ's love, you should willingly choose to show love to one another and give up doing what we can for the sake of others. This principle is the very bedrock of why we serve others, why we would do the work of the Great Commission, why we humble ourselves, why we love our enemies, why we sacrifice for others. It's because of love. And this love is exemplified by our Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus Himself did when He was on earth. He loved the sinners of His generation, even those who vehemently disagreed with Him. As the Son of God, God Himself, He could have killed all of His enemies, turned His haters into animals, exposed and embarrassed all the hypocrites, but instead He chose to love them. He volitionally and willingly died for the sins of all, even those who hated Him with a passion. Now, if Christ exemplified love in this matter as a testimony to our Christian brothers and sisters and to the world based on love, can we choose to willingly and sacrificially give up some of our freedoms in Christ for the sake of others' spiritual journey? Now, jump over to what chapter 10, verses 23 to 30 says. Chapter 10, verse 23 to 30 of 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Note this. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I gave thanks? Verse 24 says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Choose to show love. Now, while we are to show the principle of and give up our rights and freedoms to do something or post something, if others will be offended, what if 
they use this principle and abuse it to try to restrict what we can do. Verse 27 and 28 talks about times when some people who are known as legalists may abuse this principle to try to get us to conform to their own personal preferences and opinions. They may say, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that because if you do, I'll be stumbled. And the Bible says you can't stumble me, so you better not do this. What do we do? What do we do? Because I'm sure everything we do, someone will be stumbled by it. So what do you do? Just stay at our homes and do nothing? It's impossible to please everyone. Perhaps you can ask yourself two discerning questions to know what to do in this case. Who are legalists who try to impose their views to restrict your freedoms in Christ are causing you to be unsure. First, ask yourself, is the objecting person really trying to grow in Christ or are they really being stumbled by your actions? Or is that person a legalist simply trying to get you to conform to their actions? What's their motive? You can easily tell. Do they really struggle in the Christian walk or do they just say that? And we do it all the time. Well, if you're a Christian, you should have done this or that. As a Christian, you shouldn't have done that. They've never even read the Bible. They're just throwing the Christian tag upon us and trying to restrict what we can do. What is their motivation? Are they truly trying to understand the Christian faith? Or are they just simply saying that to get us to conform to what they want? Second is asking the question, how many are going to be affected by what I do in my liberty? Is it only them? Or will it affect the entire community? Remember, our social media posts and stories have a very wide reach and a range of viewers. So to the second question, if you believe that the legalists are just trying to restrict your freedoms to conform to their own views and it only affects them, limited to them, then follow as Jesus did as he dwelt, dealt with the legalists of his times. He just ignored them. You, you have the right to ignore them. But if it affects the wider community, take note. Now look at verses 31 and 33 for the fourth principle. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Here the Apostle Paul lays the fourth principle when we ask the question, I can, but should I? Principle number four, the principle of motivation. The principle of motivation. Simply put, does what I do glorify God? Will what you do, watch, listen, read, enjoy, glorify God? Is it beneficial for your personal and spiritual edification? Does it draw you and the other people closer to God or away from Him? You have the right to do anything. But does it draw people closer to Jesus? Or are you just caught up in your own personal drama for your rights, for your own ego, and for your own self-edification? Would you be okay doing what you have the freedom to do if God is sitting next to you and He's watching you? I mean, God is omnipresent, so He's there always. Would you be comfortable inviting God to your overnight getaway as two unmarried couples, even if it's a room with two separate beds? You tell Him, hey, God, 
join us in our room as we play board games all night. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Would you be okay with God sitting next to you as you watch a particular Netflix show or movie and you tell him, hey, God, be ready to cover your eyes and, and close your ears when I tell you because I know there's some questionable parts. Would you be comfortable if God listened to the songs you were listening and you read with him the lyrics? Hey, God, take a look at this lyrics. Let's read it together. May you be glorified. Now, you may not like the situations and the scenarios I've set forth, but it's not for me. That's what the Bible says. We must ask ourselves, what is our motivation to do what I want to do? Because if my life's purpose is to draw closer to Christ, to be more Christ-like, does what I have the freedom to do actually do that? Do I advance the work of the Great Commission through my action and testimony so that more people will know Jesus, as verse 33 tells us Paul's motivation was. These are tough motivational questions we have to ask because it goes to the question of doing something for God's glory. Verse 31, do all, do everything for the glory of God. So my friends, as we all strive to be discerning and wise in the decisions we make, We've all been given some principles and guidelines in how to make God-honoring decisions. There are four principles. I, I wish, personally, it ended with one. But don't get mad with me for number two, three, and four. That's from the Bible. Four biblical principles from God, and ask yourself these questions. Number one, the principle of liberty. Is it prohibited in the Bible, or do I have the freedom to do it? Principle number two, the principle of responsibility. How does it affect my testimony to other Christians and to the world? Principle number three, the principle of love. Am I willing to give up my rights to help others in their spiritual journey? And principle number four, the principle of motivation. Does it glorify God, edify my life, and is great commission focused? With these four principles, it can help you discern what to do in the following scenarios and more. How to express your affection to your boyfriend or girlfriend. What movies or musicals to watch. If there's just one bad scene, should I walk out or not? That's up to you. What music to listen to. What lyrics are okay and which are not. Should I go to a particular musical concert or not? What drink should you drink? How much and with whom? Should I get a tattoo or not? Can I dance? And what type of dancing is okay? What party and event should I attend? Should I dress up on Halloween or any other costume event? And what should I dress up as? How do I use social media? What can I post and what should I not? Can I bet on a sporting event or have a friendly rager with friends on perhaps fantasy basketball? Can I go to a casino or even eat at one of the restaurants in a casino? Can I play mahjong? Or can I play cards? And with whom? What events justify the skipping of church? Should I follow a certain influencer or not? How much should I spend on a luxury item like a watch or a car? Should I play video games that contain violence? How much should I engage in the culture? How deeply should I engage in a political debate or discourse? What is the intensity at which I debate a theological position in person or online and many other scenarios? 
Now, I have my personal opinions on these scenarios, but you, my friends, have the freedom to decide on your own what you will do, but make sure you filter those scenarios through these four principles. May the Lord grant wisdom and discernment to the question, I can, but should I? so that we can present a Christ-like witness and testimony to the Lord through the way we live our lives as we bring people closer to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It is so hard in this life to strike up that balance of freedom, love, responsibility, and motivation. But may the Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide helping us to discern, helping us to make the right choices in what we should do because first and foremost, we want to glorify You. It's not about us. It's not about our joy. It's not about our happiness. It's not about what we want. It's about Your glory and how we can serve as a testimony to others about the Savior and Lord who died for us, to whom we are called to live for. Again, Lord, we pray for wisdom from above. May You allow our lives to be wholly pleasing unto your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.